Hello, and welcome to Trips Tennis Talk, an amateur podcast about professional tennis. Thanks for finding the podcast wherever you're listening and whenever you are listening. Thank you very much. Today, we're going to be talking about the Friday results from the Canadian tournaments in Montreal and Toronto. It was quarterfinal day, and we're going to go through what happened and then look ahead to tomorrow. It is 9.25 p.m. on the West Coast, and that's where I am, and that means it is 12.25 a.m. local tournament time. Karolina Pliskova just wrapped up her match win in the last 15 minutes or so, so everything here is going to be my live contemporary, uh, my live reaction to what has happened. So first, we're going to go through the matches that I had my eye on today. Then we're going to do a full score rundown of all eight quarterfinal matches. Any thoughts or reactions I have, I'll share them briefly. Then we will do tennis news and notes then talk about the ranking points, then look at tomorrow's schedule. So let's jump right in. So we'll start with the most recent match that I had my eye on. Um, On the men's side, Pablo Carreno Busta taking on the qualifier, Jack Draper. This one started just before 9.30 local time on Friday night. And let's see. Carreno Busta was the better player for the entirety of the match, I thought. The first set was close. It was a tiebreak set. But if you look at the stats, Draper was down breakpoint several times, and Carreno didn't get the break for a long time. And especially in the first couple of games, when... Draper was defending his serve on multiple deuce games. There were lots of long rallies in those situations, and Draper actually won a fair share of them, but I think in the long run, Carreno's strategy is get Draper into these long rallies where Carreno can eventually wear him down with the stereotypical Spanish player consistency off the ground, and in the short term, that actually backfired on Carreno, because Draper seemed to win his fair share of those points, and that's reflected in the fact that uh, it took Carreno Busta until his eighth break point to get his first break of the match, but we'll get to that a little bit later. He was 0 for 7 to start on the break points, so Draper was definitely getting outplayed, but he scrapped hard enough to stay close on the scoreboard, at least for a while, until Carreno Busta's long-term plan began to bear fruit. The first set went with serve for the first six games. Carreno Busta got a break to make it 4-3. He served for the first set at 5-4, and he was unable to do it. He got broken for 5-all. Then eventually they got into a tie break, and 
to this point in the match, again, like I said, Kareno Busta was better on form, but Jack Draper was winning the more important points. He was saving break points. He was breaking to get back into the set. And the first set tiebreak, unfortunately, though, went the way of Kareno Busta. Unfortunately for Draper, anyway. And so Kareno wins the first set 7-6. Second set, he got the break in Draper's first service game at Love 1 to get the 2-love lead. And he cruised from there, got another break at 4-1. I thought, in addition to being outplayed, I thought Draper definitely dropped off in level in the second set. I thought he was moving slower, maybe. Maybe losing focus a little bit or getting tired. It's been a a long week for him. A career-changing week in many ways. And especially coming through the qualifying where he had to play two additional matches. So I think it was a good week for Draper. And I think he ran out of gas a little bit today in the second set. But I think he'll use it as a learning experience. And... Obviously, still very young, still a great prospect player, and hope he uh, does well in the future. And Carreno continues to add to his hardcourt resume. I don't have it in front of me, but let me see if I can pull up that tweet that the tournament sent out. There might be a good deal of looking research, looking for research during the recording today. So, yeah, according to the official tournament Twitter, Pablo Carreno Busta, he's got the semis of Indian Wells, the semis of Miami, semis of Montreal, and a two-time semifinalist at the U.S. Open as part of his hardcore resume. So there you go. And obviously, we forget he was on the other end of the court when Djokovic got defaulted at the 2020 U.S. Open. So... He does have experience going deep in these tournaments. He hasn't won one yet, but who knows? It could be his weekend. You never know. So Pablo Carreno Busta moving on to the semis. Prior to that, earlier in the day, or the first night match, rather, was Tommy Paul taking on Dan Evans. This was the first night match. It started at 6.45 p.m. local time. And this is a quarterfinal between two unseeded players. Kind of unusual for this stage of a tournament. However, they produced a very entertaining match. But we let's talk through it and how we got there. Tommy Paul played very well out of the gate. Rushed to a 6-1 first set lead over Dan Evans. But... Dan Evans, who I haven't seen play this week prior to today, he came back and he won the match in three sets, and there's two reasons why he was able to do that. Number one, his positive body language. Very frequently, after many, many points that he won, he would demonstrably raise his arm pump his arm, pump his elbow, um, exhort the crowd 
to give it up for him. So he was very positive, and it bared fruit for him. He did come back to win the match. And two, the longer the match went on, the more errors Tommy Paul made. And it could be a similar thing to what happened to Jack Draper. Maybe he sort of ran out of gas a little bit. Let me see if I can pull up the stats here. I want to see if I can get the unforced errors. Let me see if the ATP website will show me that. Let's see. Serve rating, double faults. Winners, unforced errors. Okay. Let's do it by set. Let's see here. So in the first set, let's look at the winners to unforced errors ratio. Paul had 15 winners to 5 unforced errors. So he was plus 10. In the second set, and of course Paul won the first set, the second set, 14 winners to 9 errors, still plus 5, okay. Then let's take a look at the third set, 12 winners to 10 errors, okay. So that was his worst performance, only plus 2 in that third set. I'm surprised it wasn't underwater for him, I'm surprised he didn't have more errors than winners, but hey, good for him. He kept the stats sheet somewhat clean, I guess, but statistically, the third set was his worst set. And uh, Tommy Paul, let, let's just be clear, I do think Tommy Paul should have won this match. I think it was an opportunity that he had, but good for Evans. Just like Paul did the other day against Alcaraz, Dan Evans was a good professional player. He stayed positive, had a good attitude, didn't go away, and he took advantage. And, hey, he's into the semis. He's into his second Masters semi. He also made the semifinals of Monte Carlo in 2021. Tommy Paul won the match on points, 88-85, to 85, but Dan Evans wins the match. That's how it goes. So that was the second match that I was looking at today. Then the last one that I had my eyes closest on was the opener at noon local time between number 8 seed Hubert Hercotch and Nick Kyrgios. The first set, it uh, went with serve the whole way, and the games were very, very quick. Kyrgios had a hold of serve that was 57 seconds, and he had another hold that was 44 seconds long. It was so quick that it threw me, and it threw Hercotch for sure. It was so fast that Hercotch literally almost wasn't ready to play, and Adel Nauer was literally still saying the score when Kyrgios had the ball in the air about to hit it. It was a 33-minute set for 13 games. So let's think about that. In the 2012 Australian Open Final, Nadal and Djokovic played a an 80-minute set that lasted 12 games. Today, Kyrgios and Hercotch played a 13-game set that lasted 33 minutes. So it was more than half shorter, and it was... It took a longer number of games. So, 
just an interesting note about how quick today was. Hercotch won that first set in a tiebreak, 7-4. And much like other tiebreaks this week, the couple of points early in the tiebreak were crucial. I thought Kyrgios just had a little bit of a lapse, and that's what allowed Hercotch to take the set. There were also no breaks in the second set. I was surprised that Hercotch didn't pull away, actually, because I thought that Kyrgios was dealing with some injury. Jose Morgado said on Twitter that Kyrgios has been dealing with back pain all week, but that he's been able to continue. And on the last point of the first set, I noticed that Kyrgios did not run for a ball. And then in the first couple of games of the second set, I thought Kyrgios was kind of teetering mentally. And I thought he's talked in press about how he wants to work hard moment to moment. He wants to maximize his game and see how far he can go. And I thought in the early games of the second set, that metal, that philosophy was being tested. And the the Curios of old could very easily have either retired in that spot or he could have essentially tanked the set and lost 7-6, 6-love. But he didn't. He kind of kept on. And Hercotch is also not the strongest player mentally at times. So maybe that was added incentive for Kyrgios to not throw in the towel. And Kyrgios went on to win that second set in the tiebreak. So they split tiebreaks there. Then in the third set, like I've been saying for the other matches, and in a delayed reaction of what could have happened in the second set, I thought Kyrgios did kind of breathe and not tank, but... Maybe he sort of relaxed a little bit, and maybe he let it go. Because the third set was quick. 6-1 for Hercotch. He made some more errors, Kyrgios. So I think that once the back maybe flared up, in the third set is when his mind started to wander, especially when he got down the first break. And uh, the games in the third set were a lot longer than the games in the first set. So the pace of the match slowed down as it went along, which is interesting to me. So the run of Kyrgios is over. Hercotch won 6-1 in the third set. And I've been making a big deal about saying that Nick Kyrgios is the best player in the world. And for a couple-week stretch, he was. And I made a big point of saying just on the particular day that I was saying that he was the best player on that day, and we'll see about tomorrow, we'll see about the end of the week, and I'm going to have to reassess. At this moment, I would probably say that now he's not the best player in the world. I would probably have to give it to Nadal by default now, even though he hasn't played for a while. I forgot to mention Nadal yesterday in that debate, so I'm going to make it up now by saying, now Rafa's the best player in the world on form. There you go. So I know all the Rafa fans 
we'll be happy about that. So those were the matches that I had my eye on today. I didn't watch the women's matches very closely today. I regret that a little bit. Part of that was just timing. Um, the men's matches came on first in both the day session and the night session today. And I was definitely not going to let tennis that was not going up against other tennis go unwatched. So the men started at 12 and the women started at 1. And the men started at 6.30 and the women started at 7. So I just kind of naturally watched the tennis that was on first. So let's go through the rundown today. In the day session today, Simona Halep beat Coco Goff, 6-4-7-6. That match was one-sided at one point. I, th I believe Halep might have had two breaks at one point, but she definitely had one break. Halep was up by a set and a break midway through the second, and Halep did her usual thing of letting her perfectionist tendencies negatively impact her. Which, that's happened to me too, so I've always related to Halep on that. But Goff made that second set a scrap, and that match was definitely in question late in the second set, and it was a big deal for Halep to get that win. For Goff, she's played a lot of three-setters this week. She had the long, draining match against Rubakina, the long, draining match against Sabalenka, so, and then she loses in straight sets today, at one point being down in the score relatively significantly. That's event management, tournament management, right? She would have perhaps done better today if she had won some of her earlier matches in straight sets. If she had closed out those leads against Rubakina and Sabalenka to win those matches in straight sets, maybe she beats Halp today. But as it stands, Simona Halep into the semis with her new coach, Patrick Muradiglu. Jessica Pagula beat Yulia Putinseva, 6-3, 6-3. Pretty standard. I didn't see that one. That's all I have to say about that one. In the day session for the men, Hubert Hercotch ended the run of Nick Kyrgios. 7-6-6-7-6-1. And then I didn't see this one, but local Canadian hopes were dashed as the number four seed, Casper Rude, beat the number six seed, Felix Auger-Aliassime, 6-1-6-2. Felix has some really tough matches. I thought Felix had a good chance this year. Early on this year, he had the unfortunate five-set match against Medvedev where he lost the lead. But still, sometimes players can take matches like that and turn it into something, manufacture some positives out of it. And in the short term, he did. He won his first title. But let me see if I can pull his results up. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. So, Felix Auger-Aliassime this year, 
He won the ATP Cup. I've forgotten that. Um, quarters of the Australian Open lost to Medvedev from the two-set lead. But then he came back to win Rotterdam, and he beat two top ten players, Rublev and Tsitsipas, to do that. Let's see. First round, Indian Wells. First round, Miami. He lost to Molchan in Marrakesh. Monte Carlo, first round loss. Madrid got to the quarters, but lost to Zverev. Rome got to the quarters, lost to Djokovic. Only the fourth round in Paris. He lost to Tim Van Rijthoven and Hertogenbosch, but who didn't? Hertogenbosch. Sir Togenbosch. The hardest name in tennis. First round Wimbledon. First round Newport. And gets destroyed today at one of the most important tournaments on his calendar, only winning three games, and they didn't hold serve until over an hour into the match. So Felix is ranked highly still, but man, he can have some clunkers. Moving into the night session recap, Beatrice Adad Maya beat Belinda Bencic 2-6, 6-3, 6-3. I was kind of leaning toward having Benchich as my new champion's pick since my picks at the start of the week didn't work out. But look at that. Another pick that I made loses the very next day. Haddad Maya, I suppose, should be taken seriously now. She's had a very good season. And again, let's pull it up. Let's take a look. Beatrice Haddad Maya. She's ranked 24th. 26 years old, 6 foot even. And this year, she's had a very good season. Let's go through that here. I've got it here. Let's see. Particularly the last couple months. She won a tournament in Paris in May. She got to the finals of another tournament in Paris. Or, sorry... The first tournament she won was in somewhere else in France. Then she got to the final of a tournament in Paris, but lost in the second round of Roland Garros. She, she won Nottingham on the grass, won Birmingham on the grass, got to the semifinals in Eastbourne on the grass, then lost in the first round of Wimbledon. So she's had success in sort of the lower-tier tournaments, winning several of them. In the majors, she's had early exits, which is why she hasn't been talked about much, at least in the to- in the mainstream. She's been talked about, but not at the top levels of the sport in terms of media coverage. But that is going to change after today because she's beaten the number one player in the world yesterday, and she's followed it up today by beating another top 12 seed, and a former champion of this event. So, good for Beatrice Adad Maya. She's into the semis tomorrow. And then, in the late match here, Pliskova defeated Zhang 4-6, 6-4, 6-4 in a tight one. That was a struggle. Pliskova's kind of walking the struggle path at the moment with her tennis. 
and she definitely walked through the flames today and came out the other side intact. So she's done that a couple times this week, so could be a big week for Pliskova. Well, it has been so far, and hopefully it'll continue because that's going to be good for her career if that happens. On the men's side, in the night session for Friday night here, Dan Evans beat Tommy Paul, 1-6-6-3-6-4, and Pablo Carreno Busta beat Jack Draper, 7-6-6-1. Now let's count the three setters. One, two, three, four. So again, half the matches today went to three sets. Okay, 50% is a nice kind of baseline there. The, turn- the tournaments continue to be competitive and intriguing. I think on the whole, today was not quite as interesting, intriguing, and exciting as Wednesday and Thursday were, but that's a hard standard to measure up to. But today was still intriguing and interesting in its own right. Let's move on. Let's check in on the race points here. Okay, so here's an update on the race points after Friday play. Shviatank is still number one for the ladies. Jabor number two. Pagula is now number three. Goff is number four. Kasatkina five. Sakari six. Badosa seven. Halep's up to nine. Bencic is up to eight. Haddad Maya is up to seventeen. So let's. I want to make sure I got the four players that are left. Pagula is three. Halep is nine. Haddad Maya is seventeen. And where's Pliskova? Pliskova is up to forty-three. She's up twenty-six spots since the start of the week. So she's going in the right direction now. On the men's race, let's click over to that. Rafa's still one, Alcaraz two, Sitsipas three. Okay, let's talk about Casper Rude. Casper Rude is still four. If he wins tomorrow, he would still be four. Okay. So he would have to win the tournament. But if Casper Rude wins the tournament, he would go up to number two in the race. So that is significant. You wouldn't necessarily think of Casper Rude as being ranked that highly. But again, if he wins the tournament, two more matches now, he would be number two in the race, only behind Rafa in terms of best player on tour this year. How about that? Casper Ruud could be the second best player on tour. But given the way the podcast has gone this week, he'll probably lose six love, six love tomorrow after I just said something nice about him. So let's get the four players that are left here. Ruud is four in the race. Her catch is nine. Carreno Busta is nineteen, and Evans is twenty-three. That's where we stand with that. I know the Cincinnati draws are out there, but I'm not going to worry about Cincinnati until Canada is over. So I am. I am not on the Cincinnati. I'm still in Canada. So that's my news and notes item for today. Let's take a look at tomorrow's schedule. 
I haven't looked at it yet, so I'm going to react to it live. Let's get the schedule for Saturday. Saturday schedule. Still pulling it up. This is the beauty of doing stuff live on the air. Got to draw it out by saying something. Because you got to say something when you're clicking through all these pages, right? But only four matches tomorrow, so it'll be less of a time commitment. So there you go. So that one starts at 1 o'clock, and this one starts at 3. Okay, so here we go. This is semifinal Saturday from Canada at 1 p.m. Eastern. Number 7 seed, Jessica Pagula, will play number 15 seed, Simona Halep. That's at 1 p.m. At 3 p.m., the first men's semi. Number 4, Casper Rude, will play number 8, Hubert Hercotch. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. For the night session, at 6 p.m., Beatrice Adad Maya will take on Pliskova, the number 14 seed. That's at 6. And then at 8 p.m., Pablo Carreno Busta will play Daniel Evans. And that's the Saturday schedule. Matches at 1, 3, 6, and 8 p.m. tomorrow. Tennis Channel will have the cable coverage. Tennis Channel Plus has the WTA and the ATP, and Tennis TV will have the ATP streams. It's late. I was not quite on top of my game as I was yesterday, but I'm also recording at a later time of day, and it's 9.54 right now. That's not the best time of day for me, but choosing to do a podcast like this, especially in the months of August and September... It's uh, going to be, I'm going to have to fight to overcome that, but it's important to me to get these pods as an instant reaction sort of thing, and so it can be out into the podcast feed as soon as I can get it out there, so people can listen to it that night or the next day, depending on the time of, of year. Well, I think I did recover. I think the first five or ten minutes, that wasn't very good. But I'm kind of rolling a little bit better now, and we got to the half-hour mark. So if you stuck around, thanks. But now it's probably time to get ready to go to bed. Thanks for listening. This podcast was courtesy of Oregon Productions.